0: All right, it's the DT Difference. It's 30 years experience in the game, DT Systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro Dummy Launcher and the Remote Dummy Launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT gunner kennels, baby hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate is freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me. I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom, but not anymore. We've got the gunner kennel food crate. It's easy to pack. Easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate. Slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Have you wondered if you wanted to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. A Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. It's December, baby, and another episode of Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles coming at ya. Kevin and I are here sipping on a cold bush latte, and we are getting ready for your Q&A. We've got a bunch of really good questions that rolled in via Instagram, at Lone Duck. If you don't already follow us, you should we would appreciate it quickly big shout out and a thank you to everybody who jumped on the bandwagon at lone duck i'm excited for you to all get your gear a little something special under the christmas tree so thank you all very very much we also have had a lot of people recently write in on itunes and give reviews so thank you for that as well much appreciated um did you know that we're on spotify now I did not. I kind of always assumed we were. Ooh, surprise, we weren't. Now we are. So if you're big old spotify hit us up. Well, they're already tuning in, so it's all the people who would have been on Spotify. You that's, can get us on Spotify. That's true, but what if you're sitting at your desk pretending to work every day, like myself, and you want to be on Spotify, and that's way easier for you? Now you can. Cool. Well, check us out on Spotify if you dig it. Um, big shout out to our sponsors, Yukonuba, the food that fuels us. You know what? I've been losing a little weight. I'm trying to pack on some lbs, so I've been making a Yukanuba protein shake, a little thirty twenty for you, a little thirty twenty sporting blend. I'm kidding, obviously, but maybe I should try it. It's probably not a bad idea. They've they've got vitamins and minerals and nutrients and science behind the food to support our dogs. Our dogs work hard for us in during the season, in the off season, burning calories, they are athletes. They need to be fueled like one. If you're interested, check them out. You can noob, baby. Next up is Gunner Kennels. Now, switching it up a little bit here. I have my eye on their all-weather kit. It's the system that goes over the kennel to help insulate it, because now it's chilly. It's cold up here. I can see my breath. (laughs) My boogers are freezing. (laughs) And you bet your butt the dog is chilly too. So that all-weather kit is going to help insulate the dog, keep their body temperature, keep like they are producing heat, right? And that all-weather kit is going to help keep that warmer body heat inside the kennel and help insulate them during the chilly ride down the road. You know, maybe after your hunt, you stick them in there while you're cleaning birds and it helps warm them up. So check that out. That's something on my old Christmas list. I don't know if I've been that good, but I hope Santa has a special place in his heart for old Uncle Bob. What do you think, Kevin? Good enough, you think? No, definitely not. Hey, Waypoint Outdoor Collective, baby. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't plan that. It just happened. That's awful. These guys have a ton of great other podcasts. You can check them out at Waypoint Outdoor Collective on Instagram and their website. If you're into fishing and hunting, they've got a lot of other great resources. So, tons of TV shows. They have a lot of really cool stuff. Definitely, definitely check them out. And we are now live on Instagram, and we are all ready to rock answering your questions. Kevin, hit me with the first one. Big Daddy. He's not ready. Go, Boom. D hunters. Do you hunt uplands with your labs? You got a bunch of labs. You know how many you have? Count them out. Use your fingers. Buck, Memphis, Brew, Cruz, Quinn, and then Andy, the English setter. I own six dogs right now. Now, do I hunt uplands with my dogs? Now, this guy actually followed up in the DMs as well. Um... The answer is yes, I hunt my labs in the uplands. We have stocked pheasant here in New York, so we, we hit them hard. Um, his next follow-up question was when his dog gets on a scent and is tracking the scent, he'll take off and end up putting the do- the bird up out of range and how to like chill that out and get the dog to work closer and when he gets on a scent, how to manage that. That's a hard one and the answer is obedience and using that e-collar and what I do when I was teaching the dogs <clears throat> I just say "hup" H U P hup and "hup" to them means turn and look at me and quarter. It doesn't mean here, it doesn't mean heel, it doesn't mean go straight away from me or anything. It just means change direction. So when I yell Hup, a lot of times when I'm teaching, I might actually nick them on the collar too because that will get them to like, whoa, what, what's going on? I mean, this is very low, no biggie, but just a little mini – correct. it's not even a correction. It's just – It's, it's like enough it's so that they invisible... like catch their intention, yeah, physical and audible. Right. So right. you're just as if it's the invisible leash on them, just tugging quick, and they're going to see you – and, and move with you now when i do that i change direction too i don't just keep walking in a straight line if the dog is off to my left and i say hup and give it a little bump on the collar and i'm gonna turn to the right and the dog's gonna follow with me i don't want him to come to me but i don't want him to stay over there so hop hup, hup, bump bump and i'm moving so they see me move they're gonna follow with me and you just kind of do that through the field now The second part of that question is, like, what do you do when that dog gets on a scent, tracks, and starts trailing a bird and puts it up out of range? Man, I don't know if I've figured out how to do that. I I don't know if I've truly figured out how to take a dog who's, like, chasing a running pheasant and get it to, like, stop and wait for me to catch up. So usually I can tell what my dog's going to do before he does it, and I'm hustling up with the dog. And I might, like, yell to it, like, hey, hey, you know, here, ho, hey. And they either are going to listen to me or they're not. A lot of times they don't. It is what it is. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But I would bet you I've killed, I don't know, a ton, hundreds of pheasants over buck. And, you know, out of a hunt where we kill four or six, he probably bumps one or two out of range. Or, you know, it becomes out of range as the bird gets up and flies or the dog's kind of near it. So it's a part of pheasant hunting. It's a part of upland hunting with a flushing dog. I think the answer is discipline and obedience, quartering the field with a hup, and that's that. But you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. It's part of the game. It's like missing a duck that comes in. You, You can't hit them all the time. The dog can't hit them all the time either. Uh good deal we got K Malloy sending a good one how do you build a young lab's confidence when quartering a field is yeah a nice great great, phenomenal segue so remember how I was just talking about that hub I'm going to take planted dead birds this is the first way to do it and the easiest for most people you can use bumpers or you can use birds I prefer birds because they can smell them better but I'm going to scatter them across the field in a ziggy zaggy way so, uh, and we're on the downside wind or excuse me, the downwind yeah. side. Yep. So I, before the dog doesn't see him, right. I'm going to go put one off to the left 30 yards over here. I'm going to angle across 30, 40 yards further to the right over there. And then zigzag down a field and plant four or six birds or bumpers, but birds is the best. And I'm going to teach the dog, hunt it up. But I'm also going to teach the dog, hup, at the same time. And get them out in front of me. And as soon as they find that, you're going to walk them into that bird. They're going to be downwind of it, so they're getting a nose full, and they're going to figure it out. Once they f- find the first one, the second one, they're going to be more apt to get a little further ahead, to hunt a little harder. The third one, they're going to get a little further. They're going to get a little harder. Fourth one, boom, now we're, like, figuring this out. Cool, put them up. You just found your four birds. Go to another field. Do it again. Boom, boom, boom. So if you're really focused on this aspect of their training, maybe you do three 10-minute sessions in three different fields where you scatter these birds using hunted up and hup and moving with them and getting them out there and picking their pace up. You pick your pace up. You know, the old adage, with a fast dog move slow, a slow dog move fast. If your dog's slow and loses confidence to get out in front of you, Pick them up. Hey, let's go. Come on. Up. Let's go. it, boy. Good. Hunt it up. Let's go. Good. Oh, oh all right. Yeah. Cool. Woo. Good dog. All right. You got it. All right. Bring it here. You know, okay. Go hunt it up. Let's go get them. Get them on up. Where's that bird? Good. Get it. Get it. Get it. Oh, you got it. Oh, good dog. And you're just building and building enthusiasm, but they're succeeding. They aren't going like their first hunt isn't on a pheasant hunt where you're going to walk an hour and not find anything. You're setting these fields up with success. And you're teaching quartering. You're teaching that use their nose and to dig it out. <clears throat> yeah, it makes sense. Uh, we had a, another one from from uh, Topwater Todd, who I think is also on Instagram Live right now. What's up, buddy? Um, what do you do for lining grills to create a better initial line and for carrying a straight line on blinds? Good question. Good question. Good um, question. That's a that's a two part. Let me repeat that one for listeners. Go ahead. Yeah. So he's wondering what you do for lining drills to create a really strong initial line. Real good back. Then, like on top of that, what do you do to carry a straight line on your blinds? Okay. There's a few different drills. One is called wagon wheel. And wagon wheel is a really good way to push the dog and pull the dog. I, I have the dog at sit. At my side, I've got. I don't even really do it like the books and stuff teach you. I do it a half-ass way, but I'll put a bumper off at a ninety from my left side. One angled at like, like if we're looking at a clock and noon is straight ahead of me, I'll have one at nine, a ten thirty, noon, one thirty, and three. And they're white bumpers in short grass, maybe. 15 yards away from me, 10 yards away from me. And they're spaced out enough to where the dog can see this one. I'm lining them up good right there back. And you're getting the dog to heal means push to the left. Here means pull to the right. Can you explain that a little bit? Yep. Cause I don't know if everybody's going to catch that real quick. That, I know that's important. So the commands are here and heal. Heal is the dog spin moves to the left. So I'm shifting my weight, my legs, my my body is pushing them to the left. That's heel. If I move and shift a little to the right and say here, I want him to move and shift a little to the right towards me. So heel pushes, here pulls. Okay? So if your dog is sitting at heel, dead straight at noon. Okay? and I need him to go to, to 10.30, I'm going to say heel, heel. And I'm going to step my right leg up just a little bit. And I'm just going to bump them just a little bit. I don't want them to stand up. I don't want them to majorly readjust. I just want to tweak them just a hair. Heel, heel. Now, from that 10.30, I'm going to pull them all the way to 3 o'clock with a here. And now I want them to actually move and shift with me. So when you're fine-tuning, I don't want them to stand up. I don't want them to make big movements. I want to fine-tune it like a hair, just a touch. And then when I need a big movement, I'll get a big movement. But it's here and heel. Heel, again, I'm going to say it again. Heel pushes, here pulls. So to create that ability to, to fine-tune and push and pull and get the dog to look where you want it to go, and send it the wagon wheel drill look it up online you'll find it Evan Graham's got good stuff um I don't even know if I've done something on wagon wheel on our website but either way there's other resources that you can google but wagon wheel is a great drill to teach dogs how to you know take a good line now the second thing I do is I'll teach lining paths and pattern blinds a lining path is simply, if you have the facility, the space, the yard, to mow a path to a white pole, and then, like, let's say three, or four, or five, whatever, paths. And they're going to be kind of near each other, similar to that wagon wheel. I've now advanced it to where the dog is going to take the path and build confidence driving down that path to the white pole with a, white milk jug on it with white bumpers at the pile and they're 60 yards 90 yards 120 yards 200 yards or more i mean you can do you can be as crazy and elaborate as you want mine are probably 100 150 and 135 that's they're just and they're tight so the dog might want to go if i want to send them to the middle one they might want to go to the left one now here pull them set line them back up good that's creating Those lining paths are going to create a good initial line and confidence rolling because they're already on a path. They're already driving. They know the white pole. We've built a lot of the background already. That's how I create good initial lines. A <clears throat> uh, pattern blind would be a little bit different. A pattern blind would be like, let's say you go to the same soccer field every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to train. You're going to put one blind at one goal post, one blind in the 50-yard line or whatever you want to call it at a soccer field. I don't know anybody that plays soccer. And then the other one at the other goal, okay? That dog, and you got your white poles, so they're confidently looking out and seeing that white pole, and bam, bam, bam. You come back on Wednesday, bam, bam, bam. Friday, bam, bam, bam. And now you take those white poles out line them up bam 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 they've been there that's a pattern they understand it and you go to a different field and you've got a big oak tree and you've got uh, a rock and you got something else over here and you create a new pattern and you can start close and back up Con- good initial lines is from confidence if you create confidence these drills these ideas are to build confidence Another thing that people will do on initial lines or on blinds is they'll kick a young dog off who's learning this stuff. They don't know jack. They're not good at running blinds. And as soon as they leave, bloop toot, no, over, back, this, that. Well, the dog didn't even get a chance to build momentum. When they're young, I don't care if they go the wrong way. I need them to go, and I'll get them there. And then as they develop, as they build confidence on just going, I'm going to fine tune and say, you know, I pointed you here. It's very deliberate. You're looking here. You're doing good right there. And then you take a hard left. No here. Take a step forward. Sit. Good. Right there. Back. So that's kind of how you create initial lines. But in the beginning, I want to build confidence. Go. Hold the line confidently through lining pass and pattern blinds what else you got buddy why do you take a step forward like that i wasn't gonna ask but it's no. worth asking Yeah, it's, it is worth asking because um, you do that's a good question <laughs> um the answer is because you just do it um if they take like a hard left There's something weird in their brain that's saying, I'm not sure, and I'm going to take the easy way out, even though they know it's probably the wrong way. So, you just move them a little bit. So, I just move them up a little bit, create a little bit of movement, sit them back down, and send them. In other instances, I might know here, Nick, heel, Nick, sit, back. Yeah. That's a different dog that can handle different situations, more pressure, whatever. Sometimes you do that and you can create more problems. It's very finesse. We've talked about it in the past. Training dogs is a finesse game. Some of the tips I give are gonna work well with some dogs and aren't gonna work well with others. So you gotta feel it out. Like one dog I, I can think of in the top of my brain, if I know here nicked her and then took a step forward and nicked her, I'd have a problem. If I know here nicked her and took a step forward, no nick, sit back, she'd go straight. So it was just that simple learning that dog and the things that would make her nervous and things that she's like, I don't know. I don't know where you want me to go. So I'm, I'm not going, or I don't know where you want me to go. So I'm just going to sit yeah. or go to the right. Or like you have to feel your dog out and you have to teach. So a non-pressure way would be a, you know, you'd be a verbal. No would be technically pressure, but no here, sit, heel. heal, Move up. You're moving up closer to the blind, too, and that white pole, so you're simplifying. So maybe take five steps forward, sit, back. You're you're simplifying a little. Yeah. And you're creating movement in the direction you want them to go and that stuff. But it's a good question. Uh, Nate C. Photo was wondering what the best drills are for teaching young dogs to mark because he's got a a six-and-a-half-month-old pup. Throw marks. What kind of marks? Marks. Okay. Bird boy marks, guys out in the field, your your dad, your brother, your mom, your girlfriend, your wife, your kids, your hunting buddies. Get them out in the field and throw marks. 50-yard, um, 20-yard. F- all of the above. A mark is better than zero marks or from your hip. Throwing from your hip is going to create... However far you can throw. Let's say you can throw a bumper 40 yards max. That dog's going to hit 50 yards and break down and be like, I've gone too far. I need to backtrack to 40 yards. So you need to, throwing from the hip is fine because a lot of people, that's all they got. But you can only throw so far, so your dog's only going to go so far. You need help, whether it's a winger or um, one of those handheld lucky launchers um that can shoot them further but it's still coming from the hip. So if you've got a bird boy out there who can get the dog to go further. So the first thing is just throw more marks. That's going to increase your your skill set. Two, you have to have a relationship with your bird boy where they know how and when to help. A lot of times as simple as the bird boy just taking a step towards the mark when the dog's running towards it. And he you can see that dog's gonna break down a little bit and he's getting a little nervous and gonna hunt a little soon and whatever the case may be, that bird boy takes a step forward towards the bird and hoop, oh shoot. And they keep driving twenty more yards to the fall area and bam, they got it. So as simple as just taking a step forward from the bird boy, or maybe they fake throw. They just go hop and th- throw their arm out, and the dog's like, oh, shoot, boom, and they keep going. I also like to do I, this is finesse. I'll have the bird boy throw an in-route throw. I'll feed the dog another bumper. So, like, let's say I've got a young dog, six and a half months old, and it's marking pretty good, but I want to go from 50 yards to 125 yards. My bird boy's going to have a couple bumpers in his hand. He's going to throw a bumper. I'm going to send the dog. Dog gets to 50 yards, and I see it just slowing down. Bird boy's going to go, hop, hop, throw another bumper at the same spot that the other one fell, right? Dog's going to be like, oh, cool. I'm keeping going. And then he just starts to break down a little bit more, and bird boy's going to throw one more. And it's just creating this drive to go further, longer, harder, confidently. And then you're going to run into an issue. That dog, if you do that too much, that dog's going to slow down and be like, hey, bird boy. You gonna throw me one? I see you over there, bird I see boy. See you over there. Or they're gonna run to the bird boy, waiting for him to throw. So it can create issues doing that. So you gotta you gotta be careful. But it's a really good way to to get dogs to drive further. Another thing you can do um, is salt the area. You can take a couple bumpers before the dog is out there, and you can put it four bumpers out in the area. Have your bird boy throw that bumper. And now the dog gets to that fall area and boom is successful. It doesn't have to hunt very hard, it just is successful. Other problem you're gonna run into with that is the dog's gonna find one, oop found, oop, found another, 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 and they're just gonna bounce from bumper to bumper. So if you come in contact with that, scale that back down. Uh what else? The Y drill. The Y drill is we've done it on Instagram. It's uh it's good for depth perception. You throw, you have your bird boy out maybe 60, 50, 60 yards. You throw one, let's say the bird boy is going to throw on the left, his left-hand side. He's going to angle one in. Then he's going to throw one flat to the right, and then he's going to angle one deep back left. So you're creating this depth perception. That's a good marking drill. Um, and that's it. I mean, just throw marks, have a bird boy help you. Have the bird boy help the dog. Don't let the dog hunt forever and hunt over here and hunt over there or and never ever let your dog come in without the bird. That bird boy needs to help the dog get the bird to be successful. Okay? So you never want the dog to give up and come in without the bird. Get that dog the bird. Yellowstone waterfowl is wondering, uh, what the best way like, the best way to teach Casting left, casting right, casting back. Cool. Mini T. Also, Zach Hayden said that he tries to do his best as Bird Boy. Zach's a really good Bird Boy. What's up, buddy? Can't wait to get to Charleston and hang out again. Zach was uh, a really good Bird Boy. Zach, the talent that Zach had was he had trained some dogs, and he had done some Bird Boy work before, so he could read the young dog when it was going to break down so he didn't always need me to tell him to help the dog he could see the dog breaking down early or see the dog veering off one way or the other and zach would help the dog now make sure you probably first off with new bird boys or bird dads like my dad bird men bird men or bird woman um you don't want them making decisions for you right away. Zach did a great job ninety nine percent of the time, I would say. If they make a decision to help the dog too soon and the dog now doesn't learn to hunt, right, they're gonna rely on the bird boy. Like there's it's a finesse game. So you have to it, Zach was hugely beneficial. To know when a young dog needed it, he knew the group of dogs I had, and this dog was really struggling here, so he'd help that one sooner. He knew this dog was kicking butt, so he wouldn't help it sooner. Like it, it's it's a team effort, um, but generally, as the handler and trainer, you should you should like wave your hand to the bird boy, like okay, I need he needs help now. Right. Don't just let him just start yelling, hey hey, when when the dog's like kind of doing good. Um, he was a good. Good guy to have around, helping out. I know. But, yeah. Not a great fisherman though. Yeah, Zach pretty rough sucks man at fishing. It's all right. He's also terrible at football. <laughs> Third string. I don't. Know. I mean, he's got pictures on Instagram that he played football, but it I He's from practice. Yeah, he had a helmet on. It could be anybody. Yeah, that's fine. No big deal. All right. So the Yellowstone Waterfowl. Yellowstone Waterfowl. I was wondering uh, if you had any advice on the best ways to cast left, cast gotcha. right, and oh, cast God. back. So the first way to do it is mini tee. Again, short green grass, white bumpers. Um, I'm going to start putting a couple to the left. I'm also going to have one in my hand. I'm going to sit the dog in front of me. Think of a baseball field. First base, second base, third base, home plate, pitcher's mound. Dog sitting at the pitcher's mound facing you at home plate, and you've got three bumpers at second base, or excuse me, You got three bumpers at third base. You're going to have one in your hand. You're going to tell the dog, sit. You're going to throw a bumper to the pile at third base. You're going to tell the dog, sit again. Blow your whistle. Sit. Toot. Over. Cast him to the left. And you're going to go over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And And now all of a sudden they're like, awesome. Now you're not going to need to throw one. You're just going to cast him over and he's going to go to the left. Now you're going to take that pile away and put one over at first base. Throw a bumper, over. He's going to go and get it, bring it back. Put him on pitcher's mound, throw one over there, over. And then you're going to start sending him over, 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 over. Then you're going to take that pile away, and you're going to put it at a pile at second base. And now is the tricky part. Now you're going to throw one over the dog's left shoulder or hit the dog's right shoulder you're going to give him a left back okay so he's going to spin to the left so you throw a bumper to that pile and you're going to i call it creating english like if you're playing pool and you hit that cue ball off center you're creating english on that cue ball and it's going to spin a certain way so i'm going to take a couple steps to my left i'm going to throw that bumper to the back pile at second base And I'm going to give a left back and that body language that I've created, that space I've created to the left and me throwing that bumper and me casting that way, that dog's going to spin to the left. I would bet you a million bucks it's not going to spin to the right because I've taken a few steps to the left. I've thrown a bumper over that shoulder and he sees the pile and that bumper back there. You tell him back he goes. So you do that a bunch, then you go to the right side of him, do that a bunch. That's the easiest and best way to create left, right, and left back and right backs. The benefit of giving, when I trained Buck, my first dog, I just gave him a right back every time. I didn't understand this high level stuff where it's like, I just want him to dig back. I just need him, when I send him on a bird and I need to just cast him back, I'm going to give him a right back and he's going to go straight back. The benefit of giving lefts and rights is, is you can play Features to the dog Like if I need to get him on a point And get him out on shore Or if I need him to get Into the river more Or into the pond more Well if I only give him right backs He's going to always kind of dig right Generally He's never going to just go the perfect way So right. this left and rights Come into play in hunting And in hunt tests and field trials Where you're able to Get angles and push them into certain places that if you only have one-sided backs don't don't happen. So nice. Um, what if three rights make a left? Get out of town. I don't even get it. M. Taylor five point nine. Best age a puppy should be sent off to a trainer. What do you think? What age do people usually send dogs to you? Generally speaking, I say six months. Um, Depends on your goals. Some people send them sooner so they can get really good puppy introduction stuff like water and birds that most people can't do. But a lot of people can't also afford, you know, way more (laughs) training. Yeah. So basically at six months old, your dog is he has all his adult teeth. He's bigger, stronger, and has a longer attention span. So at six months old, we're going to start formal obedience. We're going to get that rolling. We're going to start forest fetch. We're going to be throwing marks. We're going to be teaching. Um, anywhere between six months and a year is a good time to send the dog away. Some dogs are pretty immature, and so some of them at eleven months old, it's like ooh, that's a good time. But generally speaking, overall, a six-month-old puppy that comes to our program in four months is going to be ready to rock. Uh, we had a good one right in. Dale Stone, thank you so much. Just got a Chesapeake, Nice, awesome. month and a half ago in Minnesota. Uh, dog's name is Lexi. Sexy Lexi is almost four months old. Uh, is it okay to use a tennis ball for retrieving over a bumper until springtime when it warms up? Also, what kind of bumper do you like? Good question. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. Um, anything to increase retrieve drive, I think, is a positive. Uh, I do think you do want to get the dog to like bumpers. I mean, it's part of their job. It's something special for them. Um, that's a good. I mean, it's a good question. I don't have a great answer for you. I think you need to integrate bumpers. I think you need to integrate birds. I think tennis balls are a phenomenal tool. Um, it seemed as though he was interested, like, or I guess maybe commenting, like, because winter time, whatever bumpers are hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. I don't know. Good question. You, you stumped me. Like I get it. Like I, we're up here in New York. Our bumpers are frozen rock hard and a, several dogs don't love them, but they still have to pick them up. <laughs> at four months old like if if quinn at four months old doesn't pick up the bumper because it's rock hard i'm not really gonna sweat it because i'm gonna fix it i'm gonna right. get her doing other things so i think you're on the right page of like just increase desire have her have fun tennis balls are great pigeons you know frozen wood ducks that you shoot yeah Do, you would know, you ten mallards like all those things you got it's duck season now so save one and use that maybe take a take a duck wing and tape it to the bumper. So it's softer. Like yeah, there's canvas bumpers out there. Dokens that are smaller, like doves and little, I mean, there's answers. There's answers out there. I think your question is really good. I, I think tennis balls are great, but I do think they got to have some bumper drive and, and stuff too. So eh, figure it out. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> Redison. Yeah. Let's know how that goes. Uh, Klein's tail, what temperature is too cold for water retrieves and how long can a dog work when it's chilly? Good question. I don't know where he, he, she is at, but it is cold as balls up here. Well, here's the deal. I'm still hunting my dog. Yep. So it's cold. There's two parts to this question that I don't know the answer. I'm not training my dogs in the water. Um... I'm not doing water marks. I'm not doing water blinds in training. Water is done in training. It's too cold. So what temperature does that change? Like maybe two or three weeks ago, the water temperature was really cold, but it was like a beautiful 50-degree sunny day. I yeah. put, I did a water mark. They'd get out. I'd do two landmarks. Then I do another watermark and two landmarks. So what that did was, yeah, they were cold, but then I just ran their butt off on two good landmarks and it built them back up and then hit them in the water again. You do not want to create bad water habits because it's chilly out. Just wait till spring if it's that bad. Now, hunting wise, I actually just got this message today from a client. Like, what do I think? It's it's pretty cold. I'm still going to hunt my dog. I'm going to do all the right things to take care of them. I'm going to put a vest on them. I'm going to keep them dry until they have to make a retrieve. Um, Sometimes I bring a chamois, which in the real cold weather, it just freezes and you're screwed anyways. Um, So that chamois can like dry their butt off, dry their chest and neck off. And they've got their vest on. So that vest needs to be nice and snug because what it's doing is, yes, the dog gets in the cold water, but when they get out, that vest is really snug to their body and their body temperature is warming the water that's stuck in there. And so their core gets warmer. The water gets warmer inside that vest and it's drier and it's like a wetsuit for a person. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Um, I'd also say that, you know, if you're, if you're hunting the dog, like there's a reason why people, if you see sweet photos of people and, hunting like hunting in flooded timber the dog's on a tree stand it's up out of the water like it's not just standing in the water sitting in the water so that's a good point the dog like i said a second ago the dog has to stay dry as long as possible and out of the water so even if it's 60 degrees out and the water temperature is 65 degrees and your dog is hunting in the water if you've got your dog sitting in the water standing next to you That dog's going to become hypothermic because their normal body temperature is 101, 102, and that water is 60 degrees. You could be sweating, but that water is 60 degrees, and the dog's body temperature is going to get sucked right out of them, and they'll go hypothermic. So it's not even that cold out. So the dogs have to be out of the water as dry long as possible. You know, there's other things. Mr. Buddy heaters. Wrap them in a wool uh, old Army blanket. There's things you can do. Now, the other thing is be smart. I I don't have the answer. I just don't want to. There isn't a black and white No, I mean I've hunted Memphis. I've hunted Memphis in ten degree weather and it was cold as hell and she was teeth chattering. Boom, shoot another duck. She goes and gets it and gets out. But you know what I was lucky another thing that I like to do? We were right up against shore. So every 30 minutes, 20 minutes, I'd get up, I'd walk her. She'd run around, run around, run around. Her body temperature would come back up. She'd move. She'd shake off. She'd roll in the snow and get some of that water off of her. And she's building that core temperature back up, sit her back down, and we're good for another 20 or 30 minutes. I also wouldn't send her on like a 700-yard retrieve in the water if it's 10 degrees outside. Yeah, just be smart. Um, I wouldn't not hunt them but I'm just conscious. I'm doing the best for my dog. Conscientious? Um, conscious of making a good decision. Okay. Conscientious of their feelings. I don't know the difference. I Somebody think can both, write in. I think we're both right. <laughs> yeah, that's So good. just be smart, um, but I wouldn't not hunt them. I just would be thoughtful and careful of what I'm doing. Is there a time frame on that one? The second part of that question was like, how long? just be smart. Be smart. Like, if they're freezing their butt off and they don't want to go back in the water, don't make them go in the water. Yeah. If they're showing signs of hypothermia, wobbling, disoriented, um, what else? Um, I mean, shaking uncontrollably, not shaking anymore. These are signs that they are shutting down. Um, I've had a few instances where I've pushed the envelope, and buck was one of them. It was... Early season October And He's just older It was two seasons ago I know exactly what you're talking about And I took him out of the truck after the hunt He did great And then on the last bird we couldn't find So he and I He swam for like 15 minutes In the muck and shit And he couldn't find the duck But he had been swimming in this cold water But not too cold right Like I'm probably sweating And he's cold We get out, I get him in the truck, I get home, I take him out of the truck, and he, like, tips over. He had just locked up from being cold. So, be smart. I mean, I... That's all I can say. Just be smart. It's cold out. Do the best for him. Benji Carl, 12. Uh, Ooh, this is a good one here. Uh, What age do you force fetch? And... Is it right after their obedience is solid? Good question. Uh, Episodes 43 and 44 of the podcast, we covered everything force fetch from start to finish. But the short answer is I like to start roughly at six months, depending on the maturity, depending on having the adult teeth in. And like you said, or he said, or she said, I like them to have some obedience. I like them to have retrieved desire. I like them to have a really good foundation of this is a cool thing to do work-wise, and now we're going to start force fetch. I don't just take one cold who's never seen a bumper or a duck or retrieving and just start forcing them. I try and build that. So maybe it's seven months. I've, I've had a dog for a month in training and, like, get them going, and then we start. So there's no good answer, no wrong answer, but generally speaking, all the adult teeth are in. We got a little foundation of obedience. We built retrieve, drive, and now we can start. Uh, but refer back to episode forty-three and forty-four. Yep. And then be sure to subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and leave a five-star review. Uh, Jordan Tool, <laughs> Jordan Tool, sent a message on Instagram Live here saying, uh, "Really like their new lead. Thank you for the advice." What? lead do you usually recommend for people uh he bought the lone duck american made leather slip lead but i don't remember what advice i gave him oh i was actually thinking he was gonna say a wonder lead but that's awesome um, yeah he bought a look at uh, that mini (laughs) advertisement i know know. uh we do use a wonder lead too for training though yeah those are on gundog supply and i think they're like 20 or 30 bucks why do you like those ones uh, somebody asked me that the other day too. I don't know. They're super, they're like rigid and hold a good slip lead and they got a good pop and release. Um, they're just a really good tool. They're, they're a really good tool. But for like hunting, walking down the street and hunt tests, our slip leads are what literally, I literally the best on the market. Um, Little shout out to our leads. They're American-made. They, this family's been making leather slip leads for three generations, and or not just slip leads, but leather products and dog products for three generations. And uh, actually, I think we only have like five left in stock. So order up. Twin Bridge Shorthairs. Uh, another Instagram write-in on the Navda dogs that you've trained. What are some good exercises and tricks of the trade uh, that you've used to get a good duck search? Have you, uh, they've got a dog that doesn't want to expand the search like she needs to to get a four. What do you think? First off, I'm going to be very honest with you. I am not a NABDA expert. Um, I've done it, knock on wood. I've had good dogs do it, and I've been successful at it. So I'll give you my thoughts, but by no means am I like Johnny Nabda. Um, the, it's kind of like the, the answer I gave with the marking and the young dogs. I'll salt the area, and I will never let a dog fail trying to find a bird. So when I first teach it, I also teach force. So I've water forced them. I've forced them into water to a pile. I've created the compulsion and the desire to turn pressure off and the desire to succeed i've built that into the dog first so now they know they have to get wet they have to go and then i've built a pile work across the pond not a far pond but like you know decent small little farm pond or something sure don't run the bank all that stuff get in the water and go across then when I'm doing a duck search, I'll create that and have them be successful. But I'll salt the area, and I'll use I'll use live birds if the dog's confident enough. A lot of times, I'd usually use dead birds, and I, again, salt the area. So one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. That and have them downwind. That dog literally can't swim and not find one. It's got to be an idiot to not find one when they're learning. (laughs) I mean, it's got to have no nose and no sense to not find one. And then all of a sudden it's like, hell yeah, I'm going because I'm going to find one. Yeah. And then now you take that like they always find it here across the pond. Instagram live. They're seeing me reach out straight across. You take that one away. And now he's only got two over here and two way over here then you take these two away now you have just two over here and you're creating this like well, i normally find it here but i smell something over here and their nose is going to take them if they have grit i mean the dog has to be good you can train them to do it but the dog still has to want to do it yeah um and then they have to know they can't come back without a bird Like I have to have instilled that in all their prior training that if you come back without a bird, we're having a talking to. So that's how I do it, man. I am sorry that I'm I don't know. I think live birds help because if the dog has, you know, isn't afraid of a live bird, that's like, ooh, crack cocaine to a dog is is a live duck that's flapping a little bit and swimming away from them and walking yeah i mean that is like the ultimate prize sure so you know tape a duck up tape their beak up tape their legs up a little bit and throw them out there and that dog will go nuts what else oh and new locate like obviously go to different ponds and bigger ponds and salty area always be successful that a duck search is based on success in my opinion, and the have to. So duck search is based on them being successful, and they better not come back without a duck. So if you've instilled both of those things, that if they know that if they just keep trying, if I just keep trying, I'm going to find one, and they do find one, you'll be fine. So uh, for Navda rules, they don't have to, navda have to, bring home a duck when they're doing a duck search right they just have to reach a certain amount of time because that's kind of important too if you, yeah yeah, yeah. He's no they do Fernando, but they right? all, like his question was expanding the search so that dog can't they the idea behind the duck search is leave no stone unturned in this pond you old cripple kevin knocked a bird down we have no idea where this thing is it hit over here we saw it swim over here it's in the cat somewhere stone dead now kevin you're the cripple king Remember, let's not change the story. It's somewhere. We have no idea. Or really the idea is like Cripple Kevin shoots a duck and me and my buddies show up. And Kevin's like, guys, I don't know what happened. I don't know where it is. Can you and your dog help me find it? And we've got to send the dog out on this search. And he has to leave no stone unturned in this pond. Can't take hand signals. Can't look for me for help. And so if he doesn't expand his search, if he only hunts this one section, he might do it for 10 minutes, but that still could fail him. Maybe not fail him, but he's going to get a poor score right? because he didn't you know, go all the way across the bank or search all the way off to the left or all the way off to the right. So you want a dog that's going to intelligently haunt the entire pond. 207, Birdwacka. Wacka. Uh, I wonder I, if he's from Boston. I was just going to say I hope the so. The Birdwacka. Wacka. Uh, when you're breeding a dog, which by the way, do have some litters coming up in the near future, right? Yes, sir. Um, safe master hunter safe has been bred to juice who we've raved about on the podcast sure have. is who may is out of keen out of Lincoln's out of darn fine them. dogs. Yeah. Really nice dogs. So we bred safe to gay herb to gauge. Another dog I know is Gage out of juice. We bred safe to juice through AI, artificial insemination. We don't know if it took yet. There's uh, an ultrasound in the near future. Um, we're taking deposits on that. I don't own safe. It's a really good friend of mine, Slippery Steve Salomone. Um the slippery one. Yeah, he is a slippery one. He'll he'll get one over you on you. So, anyways, uh, that's gonna be a fun. <laughs> but in all seriousness, great guy. Seriousness, <laughs> great guy. You should totally buy a dog. No, it, they're gonna be yo. They're gonna be unbelievable yeah. dogs. I'm ninety nine percent keeping a female out of that. Um, so that'll be cool. Sure. If they if the breeding did take, they'll be due January eleventh to the fifteenth, give or take a. Oh, you know? so she should be almost showing soon then. Yeah, I know. I can kind of sort of see a little something, but another week or two, it'll be for sure. Yeah. Um, And then Cruz is who we had our first litter out of, who Brews out of, and all the young dogs. Cash, John John, Hunter, Aries, oh. Aries um, Trapper, all the dogs that have been in our program, except for Aries. But he's still a good dude. Yeah. Um. Crew, He's their still mother, a good dude. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she's gonna have another litter, oh. different sire, mm-hmm. but gonna be nice dogs. Um, when she comes into heat, she's supposed to be in heat any time now. So those would be ready like March, April time. So stick with us now to answer his question. Yeah, sorry, AI versus that natural. One. Uh, if I didn't possible, even get to. Did I? Yeah, you did. Did I? Uh. If possible, I like natural breedings um dogs are instinctual so if the timing is right the female's going to allow it the male's going to allow it like things are going to happen and you're going to get a breeding um their bodies are going to contract and stuff like that to like contract. help no yeah contract or w- retract no where it like helps bring it up bring what up kevin exactly Semen. i'm don't don't talk about intracting, retracting penises and stuff. It's weird. That's not what I meant. I don't know. Okay. Don't, they your keep re- your reproductive knowledge is questionable. Oh, 207 birdwack is from <laughs> Maine. <laughs> <laughs> from Maine. Maine are born and raised. He's from he's a wacka. Love it. Love it. All right. I'm kidding. I'm teasing Kevin, but it I really am. That's funny. We're talking about reproduction. It's awkward. No, contraction's not a word. That would be like delivery. Um, So, anywho, I would prefer natural. Now, when you're trying to get specific breedings from high-level stud dogs, field champions, whatever, you're going to have a hard time getting that dog to breed to your female naturally because of location, because of... Maybe a test or a trial that they're running. It's just not easy. Or sometimes these stud dogs are dead. So you're getting frozen semen that's in a sperm bank. And like, for instance, safe was an artificial insemination. Juice is from Alabama. They shipped from Mississippi, I believe, a couple straws of semen to a Cornell, the best veterinary college in the country or top whatever. Yep. And they did, um, I don't know what it's called, but they had a scope and they literally scoped in and set the semen on the eggs. I mean, it was perfect. And they had so tracked Bill nice stuff. Yeah. Real bill night. Nice. Kevin. Thank you. Um, they had tracked what's called her progesterone, her hormone levels to a T. So it's like, Now's the time. Today's the day, bring her in right now. Um and so with an AI you need to do a lot of vet checks, like every day, every other day. You need to spend a lot of money to get the semen to you. Like, it's no joke. Breeding dogs is not easy and to do it right is not easy and it's not cheap. So when you're talking fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a puppy, it's because things cost a lot of money to get a puppy. Right. Um so, naturally, like, we bred Cruz naturally last time. Um, we'll breed her naturally this time. Safe was AI. I did a, what's called a side-by-side. So, it's still technically an artificial insemination with Memphis, um, like, a year ago, and it didn't take. Well, over-under myself. <laughs> versus side-by-side. Nice. I like your style. Very smart. Um, so... Anyways, that would be where the female is in heat. The male is there on premise, but the female will not allow him to mount. Now, we didn't even let Memphis try and get mounted. We just were like, we we think her progesterone is correct. We tested it. So he's there. He's all excited. He basically goes into a turkey baster, and that turkey baster goes up inside Memphis and artificially inseminates her. The dog doesn't do it. Uh, A vet does. So that would be a side by side, two breeding dogs are next to each other, but not doing it. Um. Again, as far as timing wise and lives like live semen, and I'm not perfect at this, so don't quote me. Google this stuff because Google's way more right than Uncle Bob. But like live semen from a real stud dog right there doing the deed, I think it can live for like 48 or 72 hours. Inside the female. So if you're not perfectly timed. On her ovulation. And the eggs doing whatever they need to be doing. That semen inside of her. Alive. From him. Will live several days. So you're. You have a window of success. Where. That frozen semen. Has like a 24 to maybe 36 hour window. Of staying alive in there. So your window is even shorter. So you've got to time the ovulation perfectly so i don't know that was pretty in-depth and i'm not even a perfect guy to ask that's just the best of my knowledge to try and do it the best i can let's get another question in before we keep talking about the dirty we had a few interesting instagram comments uh will will far this is a good one i prefer will close it's a good guy get it will far uh maybe it's wilfer will far his grandfather flushes birds while upland hunting with his lab. He wants to know if he wants to hunt the dog for waterfowl also, could this create bad habits? Not really. Uh, no. Um, I I think, in general, if you are creating a good hunting dog, a dog that uses their nose and can quarter and dig, in, dig birds out of the thick crap is a positive. So hunting upland Pheasants, chucker, whatever you like to hunt, grouse, with a flushing breed is not only fun, it's acceptable and awesome. Um, Now, if you're trying to run hunt, tests and field trials and you've got a fantastic pheasant dog, sometimes it is hard to get a dog who's so used to trusting their nose to then trust you. Right. So, there's pros and cons, but in essence, you can still teach a dog who loves a pheasant hunt how to run great blinds. It, is it going to win a field trial? I don't know. Probably, maybe, doubtful, less likely, but if you're creating a great hunting dog, create a great hunting dog, a pheasant dog, a grouse dog, a duck dog. They can do it all. Just train them and hold them to a standard. So if your standard in the duck blind is steadiness, great. Your steadiness in the field is to run around and have fun and use their nose and flush, great. But when I duck hunt, I want them steady. When I pheasant hunt, I want them to flush. So they need to understand the difference, and you can teach the difference, but I don't know. Go on. What else you got, buddy? Uh, Oh, here's a nice one. Uh, our, Our good friend, Bunny. The Bunny Snipes. I would like Bunny to come on the podcast at some point. Bunny would love that. Plantation Pet Care, Charleston, South Carolina. Is that who that is? He writes it all the time. I know. It's Bunny. I've shouted him out a bunch. Plantation Pet Care, Charleston, South Carolina. If you like dogs mm-hmm. walked, if you like obedience done on that doggy, Bunny's your man. Good deal. Also, Miss KDB learned that with Tully. Uh, learned what? He's talking about pheasants and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> not pleased at pheasant time. Uh, running the hunt test on the nose of the ground, ping ping back and forth. That was really cool for a minute, but we're done. She was the one that sold a puppy for you. You should say thank you. I appreciate that very much. We'll there have to do something nice bush for you. Light. Ooh, look at that. You latte? Latte gal? She probably is a latte gal. I, le- she I do pink, appreciate it. She pink slash purple Uggs while she's training dogs. She sent me a video of a dog doing casting. And I'm like, what the are those? Purple Uggs. Hmm? You know what? Shoot or shoot, baby. Get it. All right, so Bunny snipes. Oh, Bunny. Uh, Bunny says, I know that you do a whole lot to keep the dogs in shape. (laughs) What do you personally do to stay in shape? (laughs) Bunny. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Uh, I do 12 ounce curls. Um, I've been going to the Y. That's adorable. Yeah, I've been going to the Y. I like to do the workout classes. Yeah, I'm a big Steam Room fan, me and the other old dudes. We sit there and, like, breathe heavily and, like, sweat it out, sweat out the bushlight. Um That's funny, man. I got nothing. I like to I like to stay fit and active, but I'm not as good as I once was. But I'm uh, as good once as I ever was. Damn straight, Toby Keith. Damn, I love Can we get Toby Keith on the podcast? Oh, sure, why not? Uh, also... Uh, D Hobbs 48 wrote in on Instagram. Can you try to get Bill Hinman on your podcast? Really want to hear more about his puppy development program. Yeah. Uh, we will try write that down, Kevin. I don't know him personally. I've watched his puppy development program. To be honest with you, it's like, it, it, it is the best one out there. Um, but it's also in my opinion, almost a no brainer. And maybe it's cause I've read every book and been doing this for a while, but it's like, things we preach on this podcast socialization create retrieve desire create good habits now that you don't want to train out later i would love to have him on, i mean zero disrespect. this guy is a phenomenal trainer um but if you do watch the video that he put out it's like oh that makes sense oh that makes sense oh that makes sense like it's It's genius, but I think when he puts it into the video form, it's like little tiny steps to create success at a very young age to build a confident, happy, well-socialized retrieving machine. So Bill Hillman, his puppy training program, if you're looking for something to help you get your puppy started right, that is a great tool. Um, I would love to I guess what I meant by that whole comment is like, that dude is way more knowledgeable than just puppy stuff. He's created more field champions and Derby point dogs. Like he could offer this podcast way more than just like getting a puppy to pick something up. That dude's legit. That's awesome. We uh, we'll have to try and get him on then. That would be pretty cool to do. Um, next question: T.S. Knives, what's the best pointing breed with generally the best temperament? What do you think? Well, you know I. Love me some girl and a little covey. They're English setters. Uh, they are sweet natured, gentle, soft, hard charging, bird finding machines. Um, I've trained a bunch of German short haired pointers. They make great family dogs. It, when you exercise, like all these pointing breeds, these are my generalizations. Uh, I would say all of them need ample exercise. They can run for miles and miles and miles hunting up birds for you. So if you think they're going to be couch potatoes, think twice. They need exercise. I do happen to think that the English setters tend to, to enjoy the couch a bunch and would be just as happy sleeping on the couch as running the fields. Again, generalization The short hairs, I think, generally need a lot more exercise or they're going to be frustrated and pent up. Um, The short hairs I've trained were a little bit tough to force fetch. The setters that I've force fetched have been tough too, so I guess that's a wash. Um, I've only worked with one English Pointer, and she is an absolute sweetheart, great family dog. Old Slippery Steve Salamone owns her too uh remember safe sonar oh yeah steve yep so he owns a dog named kate and she's awesome she's got a good point on her yeah i mean staunch like, just point. looks good yeah she's a beautiful dog so she's a nice family dog i think she needs more exercise than she gets but as far as loving the couch and loving their son she's good uh what else Griffons. I've only worked with a few. I've got one in the kennel right now and her name is Alfie. She's a cute little dog. She is a cute She's a cute little dog. Peanut. She tends to be very soft. Their breed that breed tends to be very soft, which means you have to be very patient with them and gentle with them. They're a more walking dog. They're they're bird finding machines. Um I think they would be a great house dog, gun dog. Um man i think the key is parents and grandparents and personalities that match yours if you're looking for half couch potato and half hunting dog then going to a a field trial line english pointer is probably not going to work great um i could be wrong they could love the couch as much as they love the birds But generally speaking, those suckers can run 20 miles in a day and need it. So, you know, there's that. There's other breeds. Drots. Do your research on the breeder. Yeah. Poodle pointers. I got a poodle pointer right now. Old Steve McGee. He's got a dog named Finn. That sucker's six months old. That dog is batshit crazy. He's (laughs) wild ass puppy. And him, he's fun and funny and goofy and wound if you just ask that puppy to go from a crate to a living room to a fenced in backyard dang like you're doing the dog a disservice so he needs the work he needs to exercise uh and, and have a job to do so i don't it, it's the same with a lab versus chessie versus golden they're all good if you get good pedigree with parents that are you know smart and try hard and lovable and they're all good i think there are some that are easier than others and so i'm still gonna err on the english setter just because oh andy girl ragged on the edges andy uh km christensen what is the best dog you've ever seen what makes them the best what's different about him? has to be birdie right bird's word best dog i've ever seen like seen ever i don't know i've been to some field trials where i've seen some field champions that were phenomenal so i'm going to talk about them real quick um extreme eyesight things that are far i'm talking hundreds of yards away where the human eye is like ah man that's tough and that dog goes and steps on that bird their ability to problem solve and and dig dig it out and use their nose, but some of those field champions are just exceptional thinkers, level headed, with high drive and no quit. Um, that makes a special dog. And then the best dog I've ever trained is probably my dog Memphis. With a close second May. Um, May May. Really? I mean, May's still got some quirks that we've got to work out. She's young. Um, but as far as the willingness to please, the everyday try hard, you can do a thousand drills, and on the thousandth time, both of those dogs are ready to do a thousand and one. It's, um, an uncanny ability to please. And both of those two dogs, their eyesight is exceptional and they just pin marks. Um, Memphis is a, I would say she's a really good team player, but someday she's not like at the master national. That dog was on autopilot at times where it's like, yes, she would work with me and like push and pull like we were talking about earlier. But if she locked in, on where she knew that bird was, I wasn't able to push and pull her. I just said her name, like lined her up, take a deep breath, let her take a deep breath. She's like easing into it like, yeah, send me. (laughs) (laughs) Send me. She's she's And she's just like, (sighs) Memphis. And bang, she'd step on it. And it's an unbelievable dog, unbelievable talent. I think I can just that's like the best I can describe it. When you touch a dog like that, when you stand next to a dog like that, when you watch a dog like that, you could and you can look at 20 others. You could you could come and watch me train and be like, Psh, "That one's the best one I've ever seen." And then when you go to a field trial, you'd be able to be like, Psh, "That's the best one I've ever seen." Like there's just talent in these animals. It's like watching a professional athlete and watching a high school Athlete that it's just next level. So, if you're so pleased with how Memphis turned out, and something that I know you preach quite a bit is like stack the deck in your favor, find a good breeder, find a good bloodline, trust all that stuff, or you know, make it so that you can trust all that stuff, why not buy more Memphises? I've tried every time, bud. No, no, uh, yeah, fair. <laughs> I mean, like Memphis is breeder. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, why not find literally find more of her? Still, like her litter, several of them washed out of other pros programs. They didn't have what she had. There, you could have a fun, like. Let's take Cruz's litter. Let's break down Cruz's litter. They are all good. There's probably only one in that litter that's going to be exceptional. None of them are duds, but there's only one that's exceptional. Does that make sense? So out of 12 puppies, you get me? So, like, maybe I I, I got lucky out of the 10 puppies out of Memphis's litter, or however many were in there, I literally got the one. I could have. Or maybe I was young and overly patient, or... I mean, I, I didn't know a tenth of what I know now five years ago. And in five years, I'll know even more, right? Like, no, bro, I got there. Learning. So I'm sure I made mistakes and could have made her even better than she is. The point of the story is, like, you you made a good comment. Why not get more Memphis? Why not go to the same breeder? or Why not a repeat breeding? I could get the exact same litter. Like, let's say it just happened. Where they bred the same male to the same female five years later, and pull a puppy out, and that dog could suck, or yeah. just not suck. Just could be good, average. Yeah, right. Just average. What if we replayed all the environmental factors too? Still could be average. It's we just like me roommates Kevin, again. I'm exceptional. You're average. <laughs> you I knew a, that was gonna come. Son, you just, come on, get out of here. Uh, Even ask Grandma June. She'll tell you. She's a saint. Uh, Rick or B We're going to move right on. Uh, Rick or B. Be- <laughs> Great name, by the way. Uh, what shot size? I know this, this answer. This one. What shot size do you like for ducks and geese? Shoot or shoot, baby. Uh, generally speaking, I like heavy metal three inch threes for all things. Waterfowl duck related. Um Lately, I've had a hard time finding heavy metal at the local retail shops. And really, I, I have not had the time to like order a flat of it, so I just didn't. Money bags, Jordan. Flats a shot? Well, I don't know what a flat is. Two hundred fifty shells. I think I so. Know, I guess I was thinking like a pallet. I'm like no <laughs> oh, that pallet. Would, that's why, why I'm like, my shit? God, what happened? Not a retailer. No, I think two hundred fifty shells is in a flat, and or one twenty five or something. no. 250, because you do 125 per guy. I split it with Hippolita last year. Long story short, um, heavy metal, 3-inch three threes is what I shoot very well. I will 100% shoot a goose within range. I won't sky bust a goose with number threes. Like, I don't really want to sky bust anyways. But if they're in range and I put it right on them, that 3-inch three, three is going to knock them down, may not kill him kill him but it's going to knock him down and we're going to get the retrieve um, so number 4s are a close second i have found there's a like field and stream and a store around here called runnings fioki is the like they private label right fioki makes the ammunition oh, all right a private label for field and stream and runnings and it's like 11 dollars a box 10 a box and so i use the three inch threes and three inch fours uh the last like three hunts and i've been killing birds so generally speaking i'm still a heavy metal guy but when in a pinch if you hit them you hit them um if i'm just strictly goose hunting I probably just grab whatever I can get. I don't have a a blend a brand that I like. Probably BBs or twos at the smallest. If I'm strictly going for geese, if I think I'm going to get a mixed bag of mostly geese but some ducks, probably twos. But I don't know. Hope that helps. Yeah, no, I think that's a good example. And Uncle Bob likes three-inch threes. Uh. Chambers J.N. had a really good question. My dog is most likely going to be 50 to 55 pounds. Didn't say what kind of dog it was, though. I think a lab. 50 to 55 pounds. Possible lab. Have you trained dogs this small to retrieve geese? What do you think? Yes. Yup. A bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, Cruise is probably 55 pounds. Safe is 50 to 55 pounds every dog that goes home out of my program is probably in that 50 to 60 pound range. And they all pick up geese before they go home and they all hunt geese. So it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. So it's too bad. We can't just end a podcast. I know uh, that, that would be a good been really way to end good. it. Too bad. We got a couple more questions. Um, yeah, I think, you know, A lot of things, if I can give one piece of advice to people, is your dog's first goose, it's probably going to freak them out. If all they've seen is bumpers and ducks, the first goose hunt or first goose they see will be eye-opening for them. They might be nervous. They might bark at it. They might balk at it. They might do whatever. Just make it fun. Make it positive. Make sure you you smack it. Yeah, I wouldn't let it be super alive and crippled and have them get their butt kicked. I'd be smart about it. But if you make it a positive experience, I would be willing to bet you in three to six geese down, your dog will be a goose getting machine. They figure out how to carry it. They figure out how to pick it up. They'll drag it by the neck, drag it by the wing. All of a sudden, they grab it by the center, and now they're carrying geese. I mean, no big deal. No questions asked. Shoot or shoot, baby. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful episode of Lone Ducks, Gundog Chronicles. Be sure to give us the old five-star review. Uh, Leave a little comment. Also, shoot us a direct message if you have suggestions of people you'd love us to interview. We had the old Bill Hillman suggestion. We're going to reach out to Bill and see if we can get him on the episode. But there's a lot of great people that maybe we aren't thinking of that would enjoy being on the show and enjoy sharing their knowledge with you. It also totally doesn't stink if you know someone personally. That would be a great suggestion, and you can help hook us up. So shoot us a direct message. Put us in contact. Let us grow into the 2020. Happy holidays. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce this show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters <small> I'm <noise>